This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Wakers of the American Dream, welcome back. Yes, yes, it has been three months. It has been three months since we last connected. I've been busy. I've been in a lot of airplanes. I owe the planet a big carbon tax. I apologize. I've been to Charlottesville, Virginia, West Palm Beach, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, New York, Seattle, Vancouver, and Washington, D.C., I was on C-SPAN's Book TV, did my solo show for the first time in nine months, 
read and signed my book for friends and new friends in the most beautiful place on earth, celebrated my alma mater, Pacifica's Pacifica Graduate Institute's 40th anniversary, announced the donation of my father's archives to the National Comedy Center, read and signed my book for some other old friends and new friends in another most beautiful place on earth, gave a speech to a bunch of Canadian humanists, and then gave a speech to over 5,000 atheists at the mall in Washington. What I discovered in my travels was that my little circle of community continues to deepen and widen. In Charlottesville, I reconnected with my former best friend Cheryl from when I lived in Venice Beach as a kid. In West Palm Beach, I met the crazy, funny, and mostly Jewish parents of many of my L.A. friends. In San Luis Obispo, I again reconnected with another old childhood friend, Sherry, and deepened my relationship with kindred spirits who I bonded with around Gempo Roshi's big mind work and found a city filled with such beauty and groovy people that I think I want to move there. In Santa Barbara, I immersed myself in my depth psychology community and connected deeply with writers, artists, old friends, and gained new clarity into the great heart and ideas of the late James Hillman, the instigator of archetypal psychology. In New York, I sat in awe of the people I get to call friends and family when I looked down the panel that had come out to honor my father and talk about their work in the nexus of politics and comedy. Louis Black, Robert Klein, Larry Wilmore, and Liz Winstead. In Seattle, I hung out with three of my alums from Pacifica that I hadn't seen in 12 years since graduation, and we picked up right from where we left off. In Vancouver, B.C., I discovered that I really am a member of this secular humanist community, that what I value, what feeds my soul, also ignites many of their souls, and that I could even redefine the word soul for that world. And in Washington, D.C., I took a huge leap of faith and took over 5,000 atheists into an experience of deeply connecting to this body, this moment, and this world. Even though I'm a bit exhausted from it all and need some time to process much, you know me, I love to process, including still the death of one of my dearest friends, Gary Shandling, more in that next week. I'm really excited about the next three months. Hmm. Why, may you ask? Hmm. Because I'm getting the fuck off of social media. I'm taking a social media summer sabbatical to further deepen and widen my sense of myself in the world. And I highly recommend that you consider taking at least a week off from social media this summer you know, to renew your relationship with yourself, your family, your friends, the land, your city, your brain. But we'll also talk about that next week. Yes, there will be a show next week. <laughs> I know, you laugh. <laughs> In fact, every week that I'm not traveling this summer, I am bringing you a show and lots more for the rest of the year. There are a few changes happening around here and I'm excited about it all. A new website will be launching soon, hopefully in the next 10 days. More blogging, more podcasting. I'm working on a proposal for my next book. And of course, I hope to be doing a bunch of speaking gigs. So uh, welcome back. Welcoming myself back into your ears right now, I guess is basically what I'm doing. 
and uh, put put a week down in that calendar. I, you know, any week you want. I don't know. It could be the week that you're actually going to the lake and you can't get any um, emails or be online or be really daring. You know, have it be a week when you're going to be stuck all alone in the city and won't have anyone to talk to and nothing to do. Just put a week in the calendar where you are going to unplug from that electronic beast in your pocket, please. Well, you're not from around here. You're probably not our kind. It's hot from March to Christmas. Other things you'll find won't fit your old ideas. They're line and shifting sands. Walk across a ghostly bridge to a crumbling promised land. If Jesus came from Mississippi, if tears began to rise, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Welcome back, everyone. And uh, I'm excited. I have a guest today. I know we haven't been doing a lot of guests lately, 
but uh, we've schemed this, my guest and I, Ben Morrison. Uh, if you don't know Ben, he is a comedian and an actor who has been performing since the age of six. And really, haven't we all been performing since the age of six, basically? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think me, that's a right around the right time we all start pretending like we're someone else. Oh, yeah. For, <laughs> well, as, as a kid, I didn't really have, like, many or any friends. And uh, I also discovered uh, – well, I spent an intense amount of time alone watching television and just learning to mimic them. And also discovered that doing characters at six years old would get me out of trouble. <laughs> With my mom. So I developed like this Italian barber character. Seriously, when I was six years old, and like she'd be like, Your room is a mess. I told you to clean it. And I'd be like, Hey, you didn't have a time. And she was like, You're so cute. Just keep it the way it is. Never mind. Never mind. Um, so yeah, perform. But yes, performing since I was age six in and, a very intense way. And um, you've studied under David Mamet and William H. Macy at the prestigious NYU Tisch School of the Arts. And, you know, you did tons of commercials, tons of TV all the mm -hmm. time. You're doing traveling around the country, doing your comedy thing. But really, most importantly, um, you're a Gemini and I'm a Gemini. <laughs> and that's really all that counts today. <laughs> and my little sister is a Gemini. My mother was a Gemini. Oh. My maternal grandmother was a Gemini. Every bio that I write ends with he is a Gemini and so is he. I know. I love that. And only a few people get it. But the ones who do love are, it. Are the Gemini's usually. Are the Gemini's <laughs> among us. And I have, you know, I have my, if you believe in kind of the Freudian theory that our, our, our personalities are implanted largely within the first year of life, mm -hmm. Gemini's, they say, are very kind of almost bipolar in their, in their extremes of right. emotion. Gemini babies were born at the solstice when they had the longest day right. with the biggest contrast of nighttime, whereas winter babies were probably inside and in the darkness a lot more. Yes. So that's my theory. Yes. And we're also uh, just because there's so much light, we're, uh, there's just a lot more to do. So we tend to be more extroverted, I, I think. We're very extroverted We're, we're all about talking to but, people. It's all about communication with the Gemini. The the uh, enormity of our extroversion only mirrors the enormity of our introversion. Of course. That you <laughs> couldn't wrap your little head around, you non-Gemini. <laughs> you amateurs out there, you. you amateur introverts. Yeah. While you're sitting over there across the way, hating how, how just uh, outgoing I am at the party, just imagine I do that to myself in a negative way when I'm alone. Exactly. So, imagine the hell of when we are alone put with that our in your own little, thoughts. Put that in your jealousy pipe and smoke it, Virgo. <laughs> While you're neatening up. Uh, well, you're, is, the room. Is that a Virgo thing? Oh, Virgos are very much in controlling space. Really? And stuff like that. I want to start spreading false rumors about different zodiac signs. <laughs> Why not? Be like, oh, God, is it, is it, is a, oh, your son's a shoplifter? He's got to be a cancer. They steal, <laughs> they steal all the time. The cancer is, it's not from the crab, it's from their place in society. They just steal. <laughs> so, what have you been up to lately? Been up to a lot of cool stuff. Uh, but I, I specifically, whoops, reached out to you mm -hmm. because I kind of wanted to just have a dialogue with someone who's had the depth of, uh, immersion into the inner workings of our brain, uh, in relating to the last year that I've had, which has definitely been the most transitional year, I think aside from milestones, like going to college, et cetera, of right. my entire life. Right. How old are you now? I just turned 37 uh, last week. Oh, okay. Cool. Which I feel is a cool age. Yeah, it's one of those weird numbers where it's like, 
it's it's just kind of like the ugly stepchild number like mm-hmm. you know 43 is another one like that too really? 37 i don't know i was looking, just thinking about like nothing exciting about 37 well great but... way great i feel awesome about this next year thanks a lot <laughs> so i've been ben morrison you can catch her next week not gonna find her on social no it's media. about you know it's, it's just like you know when you're 35 there's like some sort of like energy about it but at 37 it's like you know you're it's up to you to yeah. do something with that year the reason i'm stoked about 37 is because i feel like it's the next three years of intense work that I have ahead of me to get me to the 40 mm-hmm. that I always envisioned, ah, so to speak. And ooh, I spent a man so of the vision. Now, well, yeah, I've always had a, I've had the kind of, you know, like uh, destiny from God thing my entire life. But mm. I think I, I finally, <laughs> at the end of last year, like pushed myself so far over a cliff, I established what completely diverging and losing myself feels like in an adult way that I have that. And now everything I do will be continuing to move away from that into the bright, bright future. So what, so what was this destiny that you've always had? And then what was this cliff that you fell over recently? Uh, The destiny. And yeah, I mean, I always call it the quest is Uh just to, bring emotion to other people through things that like channel through me Mm. involving. So it's like having an impact, having like having people feel something and, and be transformed by this experience or just to be able to just like actually be impacted by the work. Moving more into transformative Mm -hmm. as far as what I really want to do. I mean, I guess I have such intense goosebumps all the time Mm. when like a wave of art will hit me or an idea will hit me Mm. that I know that because since I was a kid, uh, connecting to people through performance has always been kind of just my superpower. I need to use that to take (laughs) that goosebumpy thing and channel it out into something for them. Right. And that's, slowly coming into greater focus because you know i think i spent such a long time just establishing myself as a comedian as an actor uh and taking almost every divergent road possible Mm. to not dig in with the uh intensity that i now feel like i am that being alcohol drugs sex uh kind of just feeding the different uh receptors of my ego so that was the cliff that you fell off of in a nutshell last december or november i yeah yeah i was in i was in a very very bad relationship Mm. for a long time for three years and at that point last year we were living together I was uh I was 30 pounds heavier than I am right now because it, I was just it was such a shitty relationship and there was so much damage at the core of it. You know, I say on stage like you've got in a relationship you've got to talk your shit out <clears throat> and we we couldn't talk it out. When we try it would just fail, so we just left the shit there. And then when more <laughs> shit when more shit comes along, then you just stack shit on top of shit. And after three years, we were living in a cathedral of our own shit. You were hoarding. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was whoring. And I don't think she was aware of it in the way that I was. Mm. Because I had reservations about being in the relationship kind of the whole time. Um, and she was just very draining. So was there something, though, in particular that you, um, a moment that you had where you knew you made, you had to make a, ch- a change for yourself? Yeah, yeah. And I'll just be honest. Like I, w- I was drinking a lot last year because I just couldn't deal with her. Mm. And then uh, it crescendoed when I did uh, a cruise last year with a couple other comics that, that you know. That's a very dangerous thing, cruise and alcohol, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been on a cruise, I know. Well, yeah. I mean, essentially what happened is I stayed up for two days drinking whiskey and cocaine oh. and hooked oh. up with someone. Oh. Uh, almost in a weird way, knowingly, because I had to come home and just say, I pushed it over the edge. Right. Like, we need to stop Th- this. This will end it. Because I had tried to break up a number of times, and they all ended with some sort of fiery explosion that still left me in the relationship right and i did take the coward's way out to finally drop that hammer and then once it sank in that i was that guy Mm. i was the guy that would stay up for two days drinking whiskey and doing drugs and hooking up with someone on a cruise when i live with my girlfriend right once that hit me uh I was in a session with my uh, my therapist. I found a wonderful therapist I see every week who's just been amazing at the Southern California Counseling Center, which I cannot recommend highly enough for people who live in the SoCal area. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, it's people who are getting their thousand hours of private yeah. private counseling it's before in, going into private practice. It's interns, yeah. I, I've been, been there, done that work, um, actually, myself. Oh, really? <laughs> getting my own hours, yes. Oh, wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah I found it because I couldn't get weekly talk therapy sessions that were in any way affordable to yeah, me, even with insurance. There's in any city that you live in that, you know, see, seek out these counseling centers because there are hundreds of interns in any city needing to get their hours and they, they may be new at what they're doing, but they get great for the most part, great supervision. Mm-hmm. And they're very enthusiastic and they're very and enthusiastic and they, and they, they're not burned out yet. And they're very present. I, and, and I just they do great f- work. They really do great work, and it's actually and, and a sliding. And you do have to shot, shop around a little bit. You, you do, know, yeah, you do. You do. But, but it they, is a sliding scale. It a is. real sliding yes, scale. Yes, a real like sliding. My weekly rate is affordable. Yes. It's basically like, it's the, it's the price of an IMAX movie every week yeah. for me to go and get it out. And I got lucky with this wonderful woman who's, uh, she's a little older, and she was a professor of psychology for 20 years, and now she's going into private practice, so... Mm. And she's older and so she's, she's getting licensed finally she's, in some way. Or? I think she's a Persian Jew. So it was weird. Like I found it in the middle of last year when I knew that I was going down real far <laughs> down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to find. So you, uh, you, you actually put on a little life vest I did. by finding her as you were going down the, uh, down the rabbit hole. I knew in the back of my mind that I was getting dangerously close to, to, losing the plot and i knew while continuing to drive down the rabbit hole that i needed to establish some sort of Mm. person Mm -hmm. to to give me some perspective on this because the relationship i was in was so insular and one of the main sticking points was was how much time we spent intensely 
alone together. Right. She was not really down with me having relationships outside of well, and, her. And, and what's so beautiful about that is that somewhere in our psyche, we do have this aspect of self that is conscious and knows what's going on and is trying to help steer the ship a little bit, yeah. you know, for us. And um, even though, you know, we kind of will walk down these paths where, you know, it's self-destructive or we're going to come to some sort of a major crossroads or a confrontation with someone to, to, to trust in that part of ourselves. That is the healing kind of archetype within mm -hmm. us, the wholeness archetype that wants to hold us up and, and keep us afloat. It's there when the shit hits the fan, but you know, you can like, you can muffle that motherfucker oh, sure. to a degree you can't even believe. Well, and that's usually what a lot of, you know, dr drinking and drugging or any kind of self-destructive mm -hmm. stuff is about is because that wholeness voice, the one that knows what's really good for us, uh, to, in order to honor that voice, we know we're going to have to take a risk. Oh, and, it, God. and it usually is in a really deep interpersonal relationship risk. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, you know, I me, mean, I was in a 10 year bad marriage <laughs> in my twenties and this, you know, your three years, you know, and that, and that, that ship thing, that three days of ship was like five years of my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Lots of cocaine. You know lots of disappearing from the planet. You know, the, the real fucked up part is I, I had had from months prior to that trip a premonition that I was going to do that. That's And that's what I'm saying. The premonition is the aspect of I the know. psyche that says, all right, you're going to do this shit, so just let's be prepared. <laughs> well, yeah. And now that I'm so far in the transitional phase and the enormity of what it's been like, I think I was aware of a year ago mm -hmm. the enormity of what it would take. And that yes. idea was so impossible and yes at the time that you're just like i'm gonna shut you up by throwing whiskey at you yep by snorting cocaine all over you <laughs> yes. or by eating an entire bowl of pad cu at three in the morning <laughs> right. yeah because i just need to occupy i, I need yeah. to muffle you yeah with these things that i throw on me so going back to the therapy session after that happened you know initially i had, i attempted to to patch it up largely out of shame with her and mm. then Really, about a week and a half later, once I really talked about it with uh, my shrink. Can you call him a shrink if you're not a psychiatrist? Uh, I, I call him a shrink. I do. My shrink. Uh, I just had a session where I just fucking lost it. Mm. I I don't think I've ever wept that hard in my entire life. And I just kept repeating with snot, just pouring out like this isn't who I was supposed to be. This wasn't mm. supposed to happen. Mm. This uh, This is not who I am. And then kind of once I regained my breath, something in me said that, this was the first moment of everything changing. Hmm. And then through some more hemming and hawing and then having a conversation with the comic at the improv that really put things in perspective. It was Richard Chastler, who's, who's become a close friend of mine. Just at the, you know, it's funny that I, I think the revelation presented to me by a comic <laughs> I love that. was so, so <laughs> blindingly obvious while standing at the bar of the improv. It drop kicked my whole, uh, you know, excuse, really. I mean, I was just sitting with him talking, and this is right after it had happened, and I had had this meltdown, and, you know, I just, I was saying to him, you know, the biggest thing is my heart, uh, it's not telling me what to do, man, like, I know I'm in this shitty situation and we're, we're, we're making each other monsters, but my heart isn't just 
it's not, it's not saying, you know, it's time to move on, partner. It's just not telling me what to do. And he stops me in the middle of the sentence and he goes, that's what we call balls. You're not using your balls to take the action of your heart. And I was like, holy fuck. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. It's not just your heart. Your heart right. is kind of the GPS that says, take a right, take a fucking right. <laughs> but You're, it's not going to make you take the right. Rerouting, yeah. But it's it's not the one yeah. that's steering. Yep. And those And takes the leap. That's your balls. And for women, your, your <laughs> ovaries. ovaries. Yeah. You know, you need to engage those to actually make the decisions to enact the decisions the heart is so desperately trying to get you to make. And then when he said that, I was like, fuck me. I've been ignoring them. I've mu been muffling them because they've been telling me for so long, get off the highway, you know, mm -hmm. make a U-turn right now. Mm -hmm. And I have just tried to shut them up in any way possible. And I've, I've become fat and uh, my health is poor and, you know, I was having like heart palpitations last year, kind of on a semi-regular basis because uh, I had been given a delivery service for blow that just became a oh, go Jesus that just Christ. became a, a go-to for nights that oh, no. I just yeah it was real bad oh um, honey it was bad oh. um, it was bad and I I. I wasn't cognizant at the time of how bad it was. But, but I, I want to get back to the balls thing because I think that is um, – it's so great. Because I, just, I just had my own balls moment on uh, this weekend mm -hmm. where I was uh, speaking at the mall in Washington, D.C. in front of 5,000 atheists. And this isn't a community that I've, mm -hmm. I sought out or like – one I pursued, it's kind of one I've accidentally fallen into, thanks to Paul Provenza, who keeps dragging me in saying, <laughs> this, this community needs you, Kelly. Um, and I didn't quite understand what he meant by that. And, um, and, and I'd kind of, part of, you know, the firebrand atheism and stuff is not my style. I'm not uh -huh. dogmatic in, in, in anything, and I, I don't... Can help. you explain to... to to me very quickly what the core conceit of atheism is uh, so basically that there there is no you know like my dad's great routine religion is bullshit there is no man in the sky with right. a beard who's you know who loves you and who's gonna fire put you in hell uh -huh. but he needs money there's there's no <laughs> guy like that um that they're you know and that the core of atheism so there's atheism which means you just don't believe in god uh -huh. then there's agnosticism which is still atheism but it's it's more it's a little softer it's more that there is no proof uh -huh. and therefore it I, it's a mystery and i don't know does which, god this is what always trips me up uh, and before we, you go, go no, on to your story, is, does, does God mean it has to be any sort of human form or can it just be the awe-inspiring intricacy of the nature all around yeah, us? Yeah, so that that's my relationship with that, that thing. There, there's a thing I have a relationship with, which is the big mystery of the creative force of the universe. That's whatever that is. We'll get into talking it, about this later. That's what I'm beginning to right. really so, explore. So now. is there, is there a plan? Is there an intelligence before that? Is there a creator? That's, that's my agnosticism. I don't know mm -hmm. uh, who knows. Right. But I do know that I'm, I have an incredible relationship with this kind of 
create you know, this amazing creative force that is the the life force itself mm-hmm. that is evolution that is this thing that's kind of um mm-hmm. evolving towards complexity while at the same time towards higher consciousness what, it's, it's it's fascinating what to floors me. me about that and I've, i had like a moment where i was just looking at like i was on the top of runyon and i just saw you know the light was reflecting through the the canyons and hitting the ocean and parting through the clouds and i was like what really i think what really blows me away and what what connects me to the idea of a higher power didness is just the reality that the int- intricacy of everything I'm seeing is just mind-boggling, but it's so fucking gorgeous. Totally agree. You know? Yeah. Like, its default setting is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. You know? And that is what gets me. And yeah. that, I feel like, is what is the spiritual angle that I'm beginning to begin exploring, that mm. the default setting of everything is creation, is life. And if you have the if you have the thalamus for it, it's fucking gorgeous gorgeous and yeah. that's the beauty of it all to me yeah it, 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 exactly exactly and that's something i'm very um that's like a big commitment for me is to help people connect to that to the wonder and awe of being alive in with this conscious mind that gets to think about all these things and see this beauty and receive it and also to sit with the complete terror and confusion and horror of what you know, our particular species likes to do mm-hmm. on this planet, you know, that that's part of it, too. And I've, I've always been, I mean, kind of my definition of higher power and all that kind of stuff is, has definitely evolved over the years. And, and when I first encountered the atheist community about eight years ago, I all I encountered was these kind of neo new atheists, like, you know, like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, who are mm-hmm. very firebrand, very much, you know, wanting to tell people who are religious that they're idiots and they're full of shit. Mm-hmm. And that's just not my style. So I was kind of rejecting that whole community and stuff. But I, I, you know, and then I went on the American Humanist Association website when they hired me to actually do a speech and read about humanism. And it was like, oh, humanism, I'm definitely a humanist. So I've started to like the last year really see like, oh, I kind of fit into this place, but Mm -hmm. don't really know like where my lane is exactly. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a physicist. I'm not... Um, You're a mentalist. Uh, yeah, no, and I'm not, a, and I'm not a men. You know, I'm not <laughs> technically a mentalist. Uh, you know, like the amazing Randy and people like that who are, are just, you know, incredible. <laughs> that smiley British fucker from TV. He, yeah, he's he's, a, he's mentalizing he, you. He, he's amazing. Don't he really stare into his face. He literally is amazing. Um, the amazing Randy. So, but the balls moment for me was. Um, so I was asked to be part of the Reason Rally by Provenza, and. Uh, I had just two weeks ago been in Vancouver, BC at a, at a humanist conference and mm-hmm. I hung out with Julia Sweeney, who, um, who I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, Did you explain humanism real quick too? This is a learning experience for me too. So, um, I would go online to kind of, so secular humanism is that it's basically this thing about I'm good without God. It's okay. like really getting that being a human is enough mm-hmm. and that how we're hardwired for empathy and compassion and our higher thinking mm-hmm. is makes us more than sufficient to be ethical, good people on this earth. That you don't need a book to tell you to be good, mm-hmm. and you don't need the fear of going to hell to be good, and you don't need to walk around with this concept of original sin, which you do in at least Christianity. So humanism is basically like, humanism, don't be a dick and you'll be all good. Exactly. <laughs> 
Totally. <laughs> and that we're actually hardwired. For, see, a lot of the complaint by, by, by especially fundamental religious people, especially, is that they think atheists are amoral. Like, how could you, how could you be ethical or moral without a God telling you what to do? I don't know. A lot of times when I'm having sex and I'm not connected to God telling me how to have the sex, <laughs> I get so lost. Bono right? goes, <laughs> see, right, exactly. So, so, the, the, so part of like what humanism and, and part of the reason there's actually groups that get together and talk about this stuff is because part of it, which is like the reason rally was about actually pushing up in Washington against lobbyists who want to use their religion in order to change laws and to to ignore things like climate science or women or women's reproductive health mm -hmm. um things like that like actually let, let's use science and reason reasonable thinking and critical thinking for public policy instead of a book that we all most of us agree mm -hmm. that humans wrote um you know 1500 years ago the bible the bible and they didn't and, write and, that it just fell from the Sky and landed on someone's feet, and the third one of them fell from the sky in upstate New York. <laughs> yes, that's and, the one I love. That's my was, favorite. And Logan, was Logan here is a recovered Mormon. He was he was brought up Mormon. So. He's like really upstate New York. Yeah, Jesus spent most of his time in the desert. The man should just sojourn to <laughs> upstate New York. But suddenly he wanted to go to Rochester or somewhere near Rochester. Anyway, whatever. Mormons so. are hot. The families are hot. <laughs> they are. They seem happy as a mofo. Except for the ones that aren't, and except the screaming inside. So the um, so I was so I was at this reason rally, <laughs> and I knew I was going to speak in front of five thousand people, and um, you know there were like big, big kind of star, you know, Bill Nye the Science Guy was mm -hmm. there, and Lawrence Krauss, who's this amazing theoretical physicist, um, you know, he just makes shit up about the universe, and then. Let's other people prove it <laughs> and that's, proves it with math. I mean, that's it's just awesome. amazing guys and women and Julia Sweeney, who I bonded with deeply in Vancouver. She and I are now our BF BFFs. Um, oh, yeah. so I was going to go up and kind of do the thing I normally do, which is kind of talk about, you know, some of the stuff I talked about in Vancouver, which is, you know, being, uh, talking about the the numinous, something I talk a lot about on this podcast. And the numinous is kind of that experience you had at Runyon Canyon, where you kind of suddenly see, not kind of, but you suddenly see how everything is connected and how beautiful it is and how overwhelmingly emotional it makes you in that moment. That's mm -hmm. like having an, a, a, encountering a numinous state. And I thought, well, I could talk about the numinous state and how I talk about this, my, one of my Yosemite stories that I talk about on my solo show about it and how I had my first numinous state in, in nature and stuff. And then I thought, well, I could talk about it or I could just make 5,000 people have a moment of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went out there and did an experiential exercise. I had eight and a half minutes wow. to do an experiential exercise with over 5,000 people who had been sitting in the sun for six and a half hours oh, wow. at this rally all day long. And I went out there and I fucking did it. What'd and you if, do? And if anyone wants to see, you can go to reasonrally.org and they've got the whole show there. And I'm on at, I think it's around 5.30 I come on, late in the day, late in the in the video. And basically, I just, I did this experiential exercise where I have people connect to um, breathing in their lungs and the evolution of their lungs and looking at each other's hands and how this is one of the most unique objects in the universe. It's a human hand on mm -hmm. planet Earth. 
and I have them look into each other's eyes and see each other's ancestors in their faces and imagine all of the people that had to come before them and what they had to survive. For this person to be in front of you, a person where the universe took 16 billion years to make you, and um, the whole thing. And people, I mean, it was just, it was incredible. Wow. And I walked off the stage and Provenza just looked at me and he said, how big are your balls right now? <laughs> <laughs> and so I totally get what you're saying about uh, the balls thing because my heart, uh -huh. my heart, I sit in my home here on my deck on my deck here uh -huh. and listen to my little wind chimes and look at these beautiful trees and my heart says, "This is the work I'm here to do in the world and I want to do it in a big way," but oh, I need to just be diplomatic and I need to find mm -hmm. my way and all that kind of stuff. And last week, I knew in my heart what I wanted to do. I had a speech completely written and uh -huh. I knew the day before it's like my heart really wants me to just go out there and do it. And, but I needed my fucking ovary balls mm -hmm. yep. to step up your oves, your, your rees and, and take, which is ironic at an atheist, a rally, take a leap of faith. <laughs> take that atheist. <laughs> yeah. Take a leap of faith, which I think is what the balls are for. The, yeah. the balls and the ovaries are for the leap of faith. I think the combination of your heart and your, your let's just say your reproductive circles, your gonads, whatever those are yeah. for men and women, your uh, your your DNA factories, uh, <laughs> as well said. your heart and your and your your the DNA works, yes, work together to create that thing that's called a gut feeling and, and the but they but the action. See, that's where it is. It's the mm -hmm. leap. It's it's the literal leap that you have to take. Yeah. A physical action based on the information you're getting. That's the scary part. The scary part isn't imagining right. this, this beautiful uh, book you want to write. It's the, the scary part isn't the imagining the the performance you want to give in front of five thousand people. That's that's the that's the kind of fun dopamine releasing, totally dopamine releasing. Yeah. Yes, that once you're done, that's a crack pipe. Sometimes, just, oh god, yeah, it is. <laughs> Leaves you. Uh, I mean. Are you on dope? No, dope. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I'm addicted to dope. I mean, by being awesome. Uh, but then once that's over, you're still on your porch. Yep. And nothing has actually tangibly been created. That's yep. where your, uh, your, uh, what is it? Your, your DNA farmers come, whatever. So, and, Those and, organs. And, and, and it shows up like in it, in this example, it showed up in, in my work last week but for you and for all of us it shows up in our personal lives too we have to make well, that, these leaps too so getting back to where i was last i knew that everything had to change yep and not just a couple things yep everything everything like my life was about to burn down from a match that i lit knowingly mm -hmm. and then i was gonna get i was gonna get out and buy an empty field Mm -hmm. And then start from square one with a new foundation, new support beams, all of it. I was going to change fucking all of it. That's awesome. It's, and, it's incredible. Uh, I put what was left of my shit in storage. Had a very rocky final month because it's weird like when your girlfriend is melting down, screaming about how I never gave it a chance while I'm packing my stereo into moving boxes and then taking breaks to put ornaments on the Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing whatever I needed to do to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> it was the quite a month. amazing image. But dude, you have no idea. You have no idea. Uh, uh, 
And then I stayed with a friend for two months and slept on an air mattress. A good air mattress. <laughs> <laughs> I got lucky. I had a friend who was able to house me for a couple months while I uh, <clears throat> set upon it to find the perfect apartment. And, like, putting myself in a mindset of not finally going after what I really want and not making little compromises. Like, I'm desperate for a place. And, oh, I could probably live with the fact that like the neighbors look right into my bathroom uh -huh. and I was just like, no. So really asking yourself what you want and, and really fighting for it for in, with yourself. Yeah. And if I was going to, it was kind of like a deal I made with the universe where if I was going to make all these changes, maybe it would begin to open up some of that, that karma I had backlogged over the years. <laughs> Cause I do kind of believe the extra in that. credit karma, um, but it was going to, it was going to rely on me moving into a disciplined place. I'd never, attempted before and alcohol couldn't be a part of that equation nor could drugs clearly was um, it hard for you to um stop to, yeah no no so you were just ready i was ready because i had had 36 years of experience uh knowing what booze does to me mm -hmm. and knowing what booze does to me in different mindsets in a depressive mindset, which had been a lot, I think, in looking back, a lot of my my time. And, al and alcohol is a depressant, so it doesn't right. help. Yeah, booze would... Booze was great in, at the time, being the only thing I knew about that would shut my inner monologue, which is spasmodically judgmental. <laughs> And get it to shut the fuck up. And yeah. I think a lot of the the kind of dopamine rush I'd get from drinking was finally just being free of it for a little while. Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. I got more, as I became more and more extroverted in a very emotive way that was also not being Judgy McJudgerson constantly by my ping-ponging inner anxiety. Which, right. Which gets uh, to be maddening. Yeah. Some, sometimes. Fucking A. Um, <laughs> so I knew that, you know, essentially it was I was going to break up with all the things that were slowing me down or had the potential to slow me down. But that, And that's a huge thing to be willing to take away all of your, like, security blankets. Because that's what they are, you know, they're, they're little comfort blankets around us that well, it, it, keep it, us cushioned from when I thought about our it, thoughts in life. When I thought about it, I didn't even know what it was like when I was giving 110% to my art, my career, my right. friendships, my health. Mm. I've n I never fucking knew what, what that feels like because... Yeah. There was always distractions around, and I'd always had enough of a career right. that I could call myself a comedian. I'd always had enough of a career to say I act sometimes. You know, I always had enough to say that you know these little niblets of of the the quest, the destiny, the six year old thing of that you're going to be a performer. I could justify that, but I'd never seen what I could do when I kind of went into like a monk-like state mm -hmm. and and focused. And then as I began that process, I also realized that I had never really done the mental work just to kind of say, we're going to open up that that closet that you, you've shoved shit into for, for 10 years, 15 years, and we're going to open it up and we're going to slowly start sifting through all of it. Mm. Um, which... 
wound up happening once the alcohol was out of the situation and it was just me because I found this amazing apartment that's like everything I could have ever wished for. Um, I got some very well-paid corporate work, do, ironically doing outreach for Crohn's disease, mm, nice. <laughs> which is cool. Which is a whole other um, part of your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like I said, the universe was just like, I really think it was like, all right, motherfucker, if you're going to do this, then I'm going <laughs> to help you. But you have to keep doing this. Like yeah. the day that I moved into this apartment, which is, it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. I can, it's not insane, but it's not cheap. The day I moved in, I got this, cor- like literally on my move day, I right. came home from doing comedy educational comedy about Crohn's with a nice big check that allowed me to bank a couple months of rent and buy all the furniture I needed. Right. And I was like, fuck. I mean, like the day I move in, wow. like the timing of all this. Beautiful. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then what I'm sure we'll talk about now a couple months ago, and it's only been a couple months, but I was like, what about all this meditation thing I keep hearing about? Right. Because, <laughs> Even once I had gotten the place set up and I had enough in my bank that I wasn't panicking, uh, wonderful friends all around me, I still had that ping-ponging anxiety (laughs) in the back of my head. Gee, isn't that just typical? Well, it got to a place where I was like, why the fuck are you still here? Like, I've cleared, I've cleaned up basically all the things that you were an asshole to me about. Why are you here? Yeah. And then I was like, all right, motherfucker, <laughs> you asked for it. I'm going to close my motherfucking eyes and just sit here. And, and watch your motherfucking thoughts. Well, kind of, yeah. From the, fir- from the first time I did it, I felt, the, what is the image I had? I f- the first time I did it and I felt myself slipping into the back row of the, the movie theater of my brain, all uh-huh. of that anxiety seemed to me. To be one of those red squeezy ketchup bottles that you get in diners, literally, and all of those things, it's like they were squozen and they were ejected out of the top of that bottle into like the ethereal everythingness of space. And I could see them dispersing like a cloud. Wow. And I can honestly say in 37 years of being on this earth, no one thing has ever been so effective at diffusing that manic anxiety as just meditating every day. So, so you're meditated. So are you following uh, anyone's instructions? Are you, have you read a book about this? Are you just, just figuring it out on your own? I'm kind of figuring, I, I, over the years I've had a lot of insight into breathing work, movement work, yoga work Mm -hmm. at NYU. We had, Uh you know, as part of our curriculum, right. Working with your instrument and yoga. Yeah inward thinking so you know i've I've kind of dipped back into my training mm-hmm. and remembered the breathing techniques we oh, were good. using etc and so because it sounds like you're just you're working with what which is mindfulness which is basically yeah. sitting there and watching whatever comes up mm-hmm. and seeing it for what it is which is not attaching to it and 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 one of the things that the, one of the things that happens to people when they initially start this work is and one of the most the best instructions i ever got from my meditation uh, dharma teacher was um your mind will wander mm-hmm. and your job actually isn't to be perfect at the not wandering part 
your job is that when your mind wanders to be really gentle with yourself when you bring it back. Mm -hmm. And it's that gentleness with yourself that is the healing tonic mm -hmm. of the meditation because it is an act of self-love to be gentle with yourself in that moment. Yeah, I've done a lot of thinking about this. And I think while we learn and grow and evolve to uh, address the outside world as an adult, our... Uh, our mind like addresses ourselves uh, kind of like on a five-year-old level yes, and it just so. stops yes. for anyone. Yeah. So in many ways you have to treat your brain like an inquisitive kid mm. who just broke your favorite vase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, or like we used to say, like, um, like imagine it's, you're, you've got a puppy or a toddler. Yeah. Imagine a toddler trying to learn to walk. And it falls. Mm -hmm. You don't go, you piece of shit. Why aren't you walking yet? You say, uh oh, fell down. Let's try again. Yeah. That, and that's exactly the beautiful attitude. Because yeah. Then when it does learn to walk, there's literally nothing cuter than watching <laughs> a two year old walk towards you. And that's the potential of your own thought. <laughs> exactly. You're like, good for you. God damn it. You little champion. <laughs> um, you little cherub. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote some stuff down just because, like, I, I really, I, re I really reached out to you for this reason uh -huh. because I needed to download this to someone who yeah. I thought w would just almost give me some insight because sure. I'm really, really thinking about this all the time because, um, I think what I've realized over the last year, over this very intense but really cool last year is that believe it or not humans default state is happiness mm -hmm. but all of the external and internal forces that we don't deal with diminish our potential to access the happiness around us and happiness to me is almost like the image of just a, a circle a perfect Mm. circle mm -hmm. and every time you're in a bad relationship that you're not addressing it puts a big dent in your circle and mm. every time you get fucking wasted and do something you're ashamed of it puts a dent in that circle and after a while the circle just becomes this mildly cylindrical jaggy thing <laughs> that we just say this is me you know, mm. because you don't kill yourself and you, you wake up and you go to bed every day. So you're like, okay, cool. I guess this is how I live and the whole time exist in this state of discontent. And that's because you're not banging those dents out of your circle. You like, if you're in a bad relationship and you have tried to fix it many times and it won't be fixed, get the fuck out of it because mm. that is a dent in your circle that will always be there. Yeah. And until you even get out of that relationship, you're not even going to begin to have the vocabulary to find the happiness that's p possible inside you because the happiness is just removing all those things that, that put dents in, in, in this perfect circle that you have the potential to be, but it's going to take an intense amount of self-examination to really see what things around me continually yeah, put a hole in this. I mean, you know, part of what it is is that we're social creatures. And so we're very adaptive 
and relationships are really important to us. Mm -hmm. we, we, you really can't survive by yourself as a human. And so yeah. in order to be in relationship, there is always some aspect of ourself that we're, we're willing to kind of put aside in some way in, in, in service of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it starts very early in our life. There's a great um, essay by Robert Bly, a famous poet, who talks about this, and this is kind of the basis of, of the shadow work of Jung Jungian depth psychology is, he, he calls it the long bag we drag behind us. Hmm. And so it's starting at age, whatever that age is, the first time someone says, you're too loud, mm -hmm. or, you know, or you look funny, or whatever it is, and these little moments of shame, or these little moments of like, oh, I'm not fitting in, so I better take that part of myself and put it in the long bag that mm -hmm. drags behind me. And then by the time we are, you know, 30, 35, 40 years old, it's a really long bag, and mm -hmm. it's full of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stuff is stuff that when we reclaim it for ourselves, I love that image of like those dents you were talking about, mm -hmm. we're, we're filling up that the pieces of our puzzle again, that circle, that full circle that's supposed to be there of who we are. And if we allow ourselves the work, and it, it takes courage, and it takes sometimes crisis in our life and, mm -hmm. and, and true misery to finally face up to it and to do the work, um, to go back and take these pieces back and say, Oh, I, I'm not too loud. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was just three years old. That's what I did. But my mother was anxious and just had another baby and didn't know how to, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. And, and sometimes there's a, a, an obvious thing and sometimes there isn't, but it doesn't matter. But it's reclaiming those parts of ourselves. And taking the shame away mm -hmm. from ourselves and, you know, that self-love. It's scary how imprintable we are based course, on sure. other people's opinions. And, yeah. you know, with the relationship I was in, it was a very verbally, like, abusive situation that was all behind closed doors where right. her opinion of me was, was voiced frequently and loudly. And her opinion was very negative. Right. And it, after a while... You start to believe it. You begin to personify it. Of course. Because you're like, well, she yeah. says I'm a, a, a fucking yeah. this guy. I might as well just be it. Yeah. I mean, I know... A, I mean, a huge part of my path in my life has been, you know, dealing with my own codependent nature, mm -hmm. you know, which is that, that ability to sacrifice myself for relationship. And yeah. it's... It is been there, yeah, and, and <laughs> a lot. It's and it's a it's a life's work. It really uh -huh. is that in every relationship, whether it's a working one or a personal one or whatever it is, to always having to check in with ourselves: Am I being true to myself? Am I asking for what I need mm -hmm. and what I want? You know, and that that great moment for you of finding the the exact apartment you want for yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's such a great claiming of that space for you because it's like. I'm not compromising anymore. Yeah. I want my space to reflect the amount of respect I have for myself mm -hmm. and my needs and my wants. And it's the opposite of the narcissistic person who, you know, you, you think, well, that sounds selfish or something like that, but it's actually not. It's like the more we actually take care of our real needs, the more that you're, if, if you have a healthy ego, uh, you're able to actually be there for others and to be of service yeah. to the to the bigger mission in life. When we were when she was pissed at me, she'd send me articles on narcissism and would highlight the bullet lists and right. write notes about how I personified those areas of narcissism. And I was like, "Fucking hell!" 
<laughs> I think I'm a great friend. But that's the thing. I lost touch with my friends mm. in this. And mm. there's, su there's such a resource. And now that I'm not, uh, it's really just drinking and doing drugs. Like, I will stay up with a room full of people who are doing cocaine and hang out with them. I just won't be doing it anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know? And I still smoke pot. So what's your meditation like? What? How often are you doing? Are you doing it twice a day? Uh, do you do it for 20 minutes, for 40? Try to do it. Every day. Uh-huh. Realistically, boils down to probably five days out of the seven. Uh-huh. But it's then combined almost always with uh, a yoga slash stretching thing and mm -hmm. then uh, workout. Either a long-distance run or a run-up run-in or I'll go lift weights or whatever. So it's kind of the preamble to mm -hmm. to prepping my, my body for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of view it like I try to do it. When I get up and I have to fight my lizard brain being like, no, oh, fuck that. Put on the news. Drink coffee. Um, <laughs> totally. Which I want to do. Uh, but and, and let's just talk a moment about that because I know I talk a lot about it here with my listeners. Um, that moment of lizard brain. I mean, that really is where the rubber meets the road. Uh -huh. You know? And I mean, I'm about to go off social media for three months. You know? And I can already feel my What are you nuts? What about my little <laughs> lizard brain? My little dopamine addict. Uh -huh. You know? It, it is that thing. And you watch yourself sometimes you watch yourself resist and you're like no uh -huh. i'm gonna do i'm gonna go out i'm gonna meditate i'm gonna do my thing or i'm gonna go to yoga or whatever it is or i'm just gonna go sit on my deck and be with nature here and and start my day that way and then there are some mornings where it's like yeah but i just want to <sighs> see one thing <laughs> just need to know what cnn's reporting exactly did hillary win california last night or not i just need to know what trump said i just need to know what trump said i feel like maria bamford right now yeah you sound that's funny that's exactly what you sound like i love her so much yeah um but it is i mean that's so the rubber where the rubber meets the road and and getting some momentum around not giving in to the lizard brain. Uh -huh. yeah. That is where it's really exciting. You know, you can get a few days of Once that you in. Get the routine in. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best way to fight the lizard brain is just use your balls and do it for <laughs> do it for three days in a row. And yep. on the fourth day, it won't be like the oh shit. It's like the this is what I do at around eleven. Exactly. You know? And yeah. you just have to it's being a productive human is and, all about just and you, and you get to give yourself little treats too, and you get to say, "All right, I'm going to work. I'm going to I'm going to meditate, do whatever the thing is, and I'm going to do some creative work for you know 90 mm -hmm. minutes, which is usually my thing. After mm -hmm. 90 minutes, I need to take a break for creative work. Then you can get and go and watch MSNBC or yeah. get on or you know or go to the New York Times or whatever you want. But it, it is about you know. And the thing is, is like whenever I do the meditating and the creative work in my mornings and get that done. Mm -hmm. Man, I feel like fucking Wonder Woman the yeah, rest of your the day. day. Is the shit. Yes, you're completely. Like, fucking, you're like, I and my am, depression's gone, uh -huh. and my moodiness is gone, and I eat less sugar. Yeah, yeah. What what I like about the med meditation is having done this for a little bit, and just knowing I'm always going to do that is when when things do inevitably get hectic, I know that later I will have that kind of safe space. Yes. It helps me get through the moments, not because I just stop and start meditating. It's just like, all right, I'm just going to make a note to just sit and release whatever this is later. Mm -hmm. And that mm. kind of helps me get through mm. 
that moment. And I think one of the big takeaways I've had from the last year and now moving into the next phase is that you can bullshit yourself, but you can't bullshit the universe. <laughs> it fucking knows what's going on. And you can't actually fool your, you can trick yourself. Sure. You can convince yourself right. that. But there is actual cause and effect that happens in a life. Yeah. And then if you're bullshitting yourself, there is a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. And I think it builds up like a, like a calcium deposit yeah. on yourself. And, you know, it wasn't really until I began kicking the tires that I realized how much mm. salt was built up all around it that you never even see because you're just too busy driving the car, you know? Yeah. Um, so you've had this huge awakening. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, you have. You've had a big awakening in your life. It's exciting. I feel like uh, it's just doing a lot of the work that I haven't done. Yeah. But what is exciting about it is I I have work to get to where I am. And you're not afraid of work. No. I mean, that's the thing about you. I know that about you. Yeah, no. You're you're not afraid of hard work. You're I'm, not afraid. I'm afraid of, of not working. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, what the fuck? <laughs> right, I know. No good can come of that. I know, exactly. But but yeah, you've got a great work ethic to begin with, which is clear because of just how you've transformed your life. And um, and, and I get to tell you, the, the cool thing about this is, those are nice wind chime moments. Those are right, that was a really nice wind, wind chime moment. Those are the listeners. real wind chimes, by the way. This is not stock audio. Uh, no, we've we've actually, we've, we've hired real wind chimes to be here today. Above an actual Buddha. <laughs> statue in a babbling fountain it's fucking zen up in this piece <laughs> but as my dharma teacher told me when i started meditating was um do it for 10 years uh-huh. and come back to me and see how you like it yeah. so after i've been doing it now for 19 years oh wow yeah and it um it ha it 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 does completely transform your life i mean i still get depressed i still get anxious but those moments are way few and far between mm -hmm. and I recover so much faster and in general I'm able to find my center mm -hmm. in ways that I never could before yeah. and what it's really taught me is to is to learn how to that self-love has really taught me how to trust myself mm -hmm. and my instincts mm -hmm. and that's exciting that inner GPS is really you know yeah that's trusting that I think the I've had to be selfish in the sense that it wasn't being selfish in the way that I would have previously thought. It's just mm -hmm. understanding that I've got to get down to having uh, an active dialogue with what's inside of me. And in, until those lines of communication are open and good and healthy, yeah, there's no point in attempting to get into another relationship for or, sure or whatever, like. I think the reason my relationships have been so fucked up in the past was that a lot of times the relationship for me was just a tool to not deal with what was going on with me, which yeah. is why they they have had been have been so self destructive. It was another drug in, in in some ways. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really even know what it's like to be in a really supportive, healthy, yeah. Peaceful where everyone's one. asking for what they want and asking for what they need. I know I'm wired for it. My yeah. parents, despite being very different people, have been together for a really long time. Well, um, and, and that's the thing too. When you when you venture back into that, I mean, I remember when I was in 
Al-Anon a million years ago when my husband got sober and I went to codependence no more. And one of the first things I learned was, and adult children of alcoholics meetings too, was um, whatever your instincts are in a relationship, mm-hmm. most likely do the opposite. <laughs> That's funny. Because when you're a codependent, your instincts are just wrong. Well, I think I think one of the reasons they were so you know, I've I've been it's, I've I've been in a pretty bad relationship for a lot of my 30s. Right. Um and I think in hindsight the reason they were so bad was cuz I was kind of trying to emulate the partnership that my mom and dad had. Right. But I was trying to do it in this wild kind of rock star drugs, <laughs> sex and alcohol right way yeah that wasn't just sharing the bond be, that they had because i don't even know if i was really capable of it yeah you know and and just getting back to the whole idea of this is another thought that i had i, I just wrote down bullet points i was like i'm gonna say it i'm, gonna, I'm just gonna <laughs> that like um meditation for me is kind of the release valve for the pressure cooker that mm. is mm-hmm. yes. our heads all yes. day it's like on low and it's making a stew but yep. the pressure builds up yep and we can you can get used to being in a pressurized environment, but you don't have to be yes. because this is just opens up that valve and lets the steam out. And then getting back to our idea of self, like our conscious mind is only really like the fucking customer service department <laughs> in the big box retail store yep. of our brain. Yep. You know, there's things going on constantly. Yeah. And we're only able to really just draft a letter to the board and see, and we find out what they decide to do. Right. You know, <laughs> I love that metaphor. That's great. And and you know, if if the if the company is rotting from the inside, uh, the customer service isn't going to be able to do much. Exactly. <laughs> They're just going to say, like, "I can tell them." But uh, sorry, uh, sorry, 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 you're. Uh, you know, yes. The shareholders can, are in revolt. Like, yeah. That you need to replace exactly. the board. So. Um, yeah, that great thing about the pressure cooker uh, release valve. Um, one of my teachers, Genpo Roshi, Zen master, mm-hmm. uh, he does this process called Big Mind, where you just walk into the full expanse of Big Mind by using this special technique, Gestalt um, di- dialogue. And. Um, when you're in that big mind space, you feel like you're, you are in the mind of the Buddha. You know, there's no time, there's no space, there's no limits, nothing. Mm-hmm. You're just at one with everything. Can you explain the mind of the Buddha as a concept? Uh, that enlightenment mind. The, mm-hmm. the, literally the mind that that is completely limitless. Limitless, there's no space, there's no time, there's no sense of body, mm-hmm. there's, there's no sense of anything. You are connected to everything. It's fucking cool. Yeah, it when is. When I get to those places, I see some shit yeah, that rival yeah. the best psychedelics I ever did. Absolutely. And, and what he says is like it's the point is that not to um idolize those moments and seek them out necessarily like you know like a rock star kind of thing like oh i want to be that you know but to understand that it's important that the mind does take a break from this daily conscious human life that's Uh that's very overwhelming and and very tiring and very intense and that you you know it's it's, it is a little vacation it's a vacation spot where you get where you get to go to it's like the little fucking corona ad in your brain it is exactly changing my latitude and yeah and that it's okay (laughs) to use it for that you know Mm -hmm. to just take a break from the normal ego chatter all all the stuff and that it's you know because what happens to a lot of like new age seekers like they put that state of mind up on a pedestal and they think that's how that's the ultimate and then i'll be enlightened when i get there but the zen philosophy is 
is um, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, yeah. carry water. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. no matter what state you're in, whether the ordinary human state huh. or the enlightened state, it's actually the same thing in the end. <laughs> My landlord's going to be like, where the fuck is the tree in front of your apartment? And you're like, well, I did Kelly Carlin's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I chopped wood and I carried water. <laughs> She's like, and why is the fucking pool empty? Why? Because I'm fucking communing with God. <laughs> right? On the reg. <sighs> You're keeping my security deposit, aren't you? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, and that was a big, that was a big switch for me because my whole thing was I'd always kind of worshipped enlightenment and wanted mm-hmm. to be this enlightened being and worshipped mystical experiences yeah. and stuff like and that. Does that tap back into the idea of humanism? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, 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 yes, it does ultimately. I really believe it does because in Zen, first of all, there are no gods. It's not like mm-hmm. that at all. But it is that thing where like being here in this moment during this podcast, sitting around this table, this is as miraculous and amazing as any higher consciousness enlightened state of mind that mm-hmm. It's all the same human mind. It's all the ex- this human experience we're having. Yeah. So why would this moment be any different than any moment? And there's uh, quality differences in those different moments, but this is just as powerful a moment as any other moment. And um, to not rate one over the other, but to see them all as just different things we get to experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm reading a book now called uh, 10% Happier. Yeah, Dan Dan Siegel, Daniel Siegel. No, let me let me pull it up. Is that the Happiness Project, right? I no, I don't think so. Here, okay. He's the he was a young he was a young reporter who had a panic attack on air. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Let me get his name here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this book. Yeah, and ten percent happier. Who is it by? I I should know this. Oh, uh, Dan Harris. Okay. And um, he was a reporter who had done a lot of uh, war coverage. And then was climbing the ranks and was given the reins of just doing uh, news bullets for the nightly news with uh, Peter Jennings. Yes. And during one of the newscasts, and this is after a year of him uh, abusing uh, a lot of hard drugs Mm. as a way of dealing with almost the PTSD of being in a war zone. Mm -hmm. Had a a panic attack on air. Oh, my God. And then, yeah. I've been on stage and had one, but I can't imagine being on, like, national television. (laughs) Yeah, the first episode of Punked I did, I had a panic attack yeah. during the actual bit. It's so weird. Bit, it's so surreal. It wasn't easier that the first pe- person I was punking was the um, the UFC fighter, the Iceman. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, another story. Um, so anyway, uh, what what that led to was him beginning the to open up his own journey. Yes. Which is a good read for me because I, what he's saying resonates very, That's very much fantastic. with where I am. That's and, great. And through doing a lot of reporting on spirituality through the news. Right. It's the, his journey of discovering meditation, and through meditation, one can become 10% happier, happier, which really is just it makes a big difference. It, it does. And, you know, I mean, uh, we have to end soon, but uh, Freud talked about... That's going to make me 10% sadder. I know, I know. <laughs> Maybe 12%. For 15. Uh, Freud talked about how um, really all therapy really is about is just having people be okay with... The, the everyday suffering of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's really all the Buddha was yeah. ta- about too, was like just knowing that there is suffering in the world. There is death, there is war, there's greed, there's all of this stuff. And it's about how do you sit with it? And therefore, if you sit with it in a certain way, how do you participate with it? You know, and um, and you get to feel all your feelings 
and you get to detach from it, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, but yeah, I used to love that about Freud that it was like, you know, it's not really about, you can't make people happy a hundred percent of the time, but you can teach people that there are certain moments where you can choose happiness. And that's mm-hmm. another thing too, about this work, which is fascinating, which is choosing to feel something different. I've been, a, I've been a victim of my emotions mm-hmm. most of my life. And when I started realizing through meditation that I could actually choose to meditate or choose to take a moment and breathe and and change my GPS mm-hmm. into a different direction of my day. You can mm-hmm. have a shitty morning, but it yeah. doesn't mean you're going to have a shitty afternoon. Yeah. When I learned that, fucking game changer of life. Well, yeah, once you re- if you really begin thinking about this, like all we really are is just this electric sponge <laughs> with yes. with a vendetta. Like that's <laughs> Like, even looking at you, if I'm just looking past just the little eye tools right, yeah. that your fucking sponge is using yeah. to, like, see shit, like, yeah. that's all we are. We're just, like, this, it's, it's this pretty weirdly amazing. cosmic, mystical, conscious sponge. Yeah, that, that like, like, created art and I'm a dude. And, <laughs> Look uh, at me, you work this little And fucking, S&M porn. Yeah, s <laughs> Like, we porn. create it all. You've been on my laptop. Um, <laughs> but that's all we are. And, like, if you really think about the fact that, fuck, we're just, like, this, uh, this like, mystical sponge who's been <laughs> given, like, this body car to drive around in and think of shit. Like, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot to wrap your sponge around. It really is. <laughs> it's a lot to wrap your sponge around. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, I think we have to end on that. That was just too beautiful. Uh, we just blew a lot of people's sponges wide. We did. We blew their sponges right fucking Electromagnetic open. sparks. <laughs> they can't even see them. It's, it's like Wi-Fi just radiating. Now we're Russell Brand together. <laughs> yeah, Russell Brand. I've watched some of his videos. And He's I'm like, great, yeah. I'm like... Dude, what you're saying is fucking amazing. I know. Just slow down a little bit. <laughs> Just like a little bit. You're going way over people's heads. <laughs> I know. And get some charts. I need some charts. <laughs> I was watching him and I was like, is this what I'm going to be like if I keep not drinking? <laughs> Fuck. I need some whiskey. Um, is there anywhere uh, this summer that you're going to be that you want to tell these yeah, folks yeah, about? Yeah, actually, tomorrow at 6 a.m. I fly out to Indianapolis to do Morty's comedy joint for the weekend, which will be fun. And that's the weekend of June 9th? 9th through, like, yeah, it's like ho- tomorrow. Ho- hopefully the podcast will be up by then. We'll and see. If it's not, uh, <laughs> if it's not, I will be at the performing at the Stratosphere, Las Vegas. In Vegas? Are you going to yeah. actually be in the fantastic restaurant spinning around with people? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, no. They probably have a showroom down on the ground. That would make sense. <laughs> you know, I've, I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it so... The stratosphere is fun. It's a little creepy. They've got this like a little roller coaster on the top of the needle. Have you done the stratosphere? Yeah, I won't go on that roller coaster. There's just no fucking way you're yeah, getting me what? outside of a building on the top of a space needle, yeah, basically. Yeah, what, what I mean? <laughs> I am, it's literally being like, That is a life experience. Death. Even if I am just an electric sponge, I don't need to do that an experience. <laughs> Sponge. Let me get the dates for that. If you're in Las Vegas, if you're in Las Vegas, folks, Ben is going to be somewhere with near the stratosphere. July 25th. All right, so it's oh, later in the summer. July okay. 25th that's through right. the 31st. Mark your calendars if you're going to be there. Um, and you in, can find Ben at benmorrison.org because he's fancy that way. <laughs> or I just learned how to build websites in WordPress. It's not. <laughs> or that. <laughs> and um, and I'm not going to be anywhere. In fact, by next week, I will be off social Whoa, media. Oh, how are you even going to know what people think about how, this convo? Oh, what will I do? What will I do without knowing? Well, you know people know what to do. 
uh, just think good thoughts about me. That's all I need for the next three months. And I will be blogging and I will be podcasting more, as Set you know. sponges to and serenity. here's the very exciting thing is uh, I am I'm going to have a mailing list now. When my website comes up in the next 10 to 14 days, come visit my new website because a little box will pop up like it does on Ben's site too. And I will have a cute little note also like Ben does <laughs> that says, please join my mailing list. I swear I won't sell it to the NSA. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I will if they give me enough money. No, yeah. I won't. I'm just kidding. Uh, and uh, so come be part of my mailing list now. This is going to be my new thing. Be on my mailing list because then I can talk to you directly mm -hmm. about when a blog post comes up or if I'm going to be somewhere like in Jamestown uh, this later this summer. So that's very exciting. She'll be able to email you directly about all the tweets she's not reading. I will. I will actually just tweet you everything all day long. It'll be really horrible. You'll get like 52 emails in your You're email like, box from me. Kelly, you know an email list still counts as social media. You're like, no, it doesn't. No, I don't have to read f <laughs> fucking texts about Trump or anything. And I don't have to see my. Are death. you doing the social media hiatus mainly to get away from the Trump the, Trump I, I apocalypse? Talk, I will. I'm, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna give you a little bit of a cliffhanger. I'm gonna talk about it next week. Oh. So you will have to come to the podcast next week uh, to find out what my social media sabbatical is all about. All right, everyone, I love you. Thank you, Logan, for being here and pushing all the buttons like you know how to do. Thank you, Ben, for coming by and giving me the idea of a sp electric sponge <laughs> with eye. I can't remember what the eye things were. Uh, An electric this, sponge with a vendetta. With a vendetta. Um, and this is a great conversation. And I'm so excited yeah. for your awakening and all that you're going to do. And you're going to have to come back in six months and uh, tell us uh, where back. you are. I'm like, I'm fat again. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> be on, it fell be like, apart. He'll doing lines on my apart. table. Yeah, I'm back with my ex. <laughs> uh, I sell coke now. <laughs> I'm making twice as much money as I used yeah, to. It's, it's great. Quit, act, quit acting. Uh, um, plastic toys from China. It's all about that now. And uh, I want to thank everyone, of course, at Smodcast for uh, hosting this podcast this week. And uh, love you all. And uh, have a great week. Yeah.
I took the long way home just to end up in your arms. That's why I'm going down to Florence now. through.